When I think of all my faults and all my failures, when I consider all the times I let God down, I am humbled by the grace he has extended. I'm amazed at the mercy I have found. I could never earn his love on my own. Yet every time I come before his throne, I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I stand redeemed before the great I am. When he looks at me, he sees the nail-scarred hands that bought my liberty. I stand redeemed. Even at best I am unworthy I have nothing precious I can give a broken life is all I have to offer and yet it is a priceless gift to him the bitter mark of sin will never fade away but i can come before him unashamed i stand redeemed by the blood of the lamb i stand redeemed before the great i am when he looks at me he sees the nail-scarred hands that bought my liberty, I stand redeemed. I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I stand redeemed before the great I am. When he looks at me, he sees the nail-scarred hands that bought my liberty. I stand redeemed. When he looks at me, he sees the nail-scarred hands that bought my liberty. I stand redeemed. Well, amen. Let's take our Bibles today, turn over to the book of John, John chapter 13, John chapter 13. After putting their little three-year-old Brian to bed, the, his parents heard kind of a muffled cry in the bedroom, and so they kind of rushed back on in. They found the child there, and, and, and just as soon as the child saw mom and dad, just started to cry, I mean, hysterically. He told his parents that he had accidentally swallowed a penny, and he was sure it was going to kill him. He just knew it. It was over. The father, in an attempt to calm his child down, he, he, kind of, he took a penny out of his pocket and he pretended to pull it out of Brian's ear. 
And I mean, of course, the child was thrilled, stopped crying all at once, and just in a flash, I mean, before anybody could even think, he grabbed the penny out of his dad's hand, swallowed the penny, and then said, do it again, Dad. Dad jokes, right? I mean, it's Father's Day, right? Well, this one, this one here, I, I mean, while they were having their evening dinner together, a little girl, I mean, she was cute as a button, she looks up at her dad and she says, Daddy, you're the boss in our family, right? The father was, I mean, of course, extremely pleased to hear that news and said with confidence, uh, yes, my little princess. And then she said, that's because mommy put you in charge, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, let me try my luck at one other one. Five-year-old little Becky, she answers the door when a census taker came by. She's just a young little child, of course, and she tells the census taker that her daddy is a doctor, but he wasn't home because he was performing an appendectomy. The census taker's like, my... That's sure a big word for such a little girl. Do you know what it means? She said, sure. 15,000 bucks, and that doesn't even include the anesthesiologist. (laughs) (laughs) All right, John chapter 13. I don't think there's a dad in the room that wouldn't have a humorous story about about their children and things that go on. I mean, obviously, I don't know. Some people are better at remembering things. You ever notice that? I mean, I, I, mean, I have a brother that says he remembers coming out of the birth canal. And uh, I'm not joking. <laughs> he says he does. I, he's extremely intelligent, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I told him, I, 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 don't, I don't know if that's even possible, but I don't know. So, you know, but I don't remember things. I mean, I forget things all the time. My wife will say something, I'll tell a story sometimes, and she'll say, Mark, I, I don't remember it being quite like that. I said, of course it was. Yeah. And so sometimes i got to be careful with those things, but, um, but, but, but boy, some people, boy, I tell you what, they can just pull the stories out of thin air. And uh, if, you, if you could, you, you could, because there's so many of them when it comes to our children, aren't there? It's just fun. It's a, a, lot, of, it's a lot of joy, a lot of laughter. Obviously, there are challenges in raising children, but but boy, we certainly appreciate them and thank the Lord for them. All right, John chapter 13. Notice what's going on here. We're going to see that Jesus has washed the feet of the disciples now. And in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 12, it says, So after he had washed their feet, and had taken their garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, "Know uh, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord. And ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye, and if ye do them. Now, in this particular passage, we know that he has finished washing the disciples' feet. He now uses it as an opportunity to teach his disciples a, a, a lesson on humility. 
If I, your Lord, have washed your feet, you should do the same to others. If I have humbled myself in order to do that which would seem rather mundane in in this case, I want you to understand that you're to do the same. When people came into your home in those days, uh, they needed to wash their feet. They walked around possibly with sandals or no shoes at all. The dusty trails and the, 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 the dirty roads would cause their feet to be very filthy. And so as they'd go into a home, many times they'd wash their feet or someone might even uh, attempt to provide them with the necessary tools to do so and all of those things. Well, Jesus is here washing the feet of the disciples and it's really, it's a humble place. It's a humble position, knelt down before them, cleaning their feet. And he says, guess what? That's the attitude. That's the mindset you ought to have as well. You, you have my example. Therefore, you should do as I have done. Again, there could be no better example as to how to think and live than God himself. And of course, a person may find themselves using the fact that God is God that as an excuse almost. Well, he's God. I mean, of course he's perfect. He does everything right. I mean, how am I supposed to act like God? Well, the Bible teaches us that we are to be conformed to the image of his dear son, that Jesus Christ being God, uh, we are to become like Christ in our attitude, in our outlook, in our behavior. Therefore, we should strive to be like him. He being our greatest example. As humanly impossible as that is, we know that we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to empower us and to enable us to do so. At least as believers. If you don't know Christ as your Savior today, you're missing a very important element that can enable you and empower you to overcome sin in your life as well as perform the things of the Word of God. It's literally Christ in you, the Holy Spirit. The moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes and indwells you, empowering you, enabling you to accomplish the will and the plan of God for your life. When we fail, we know it's not God that's failing. It's a personal problem. And with that said... I believe all of us would agree that God is the greatest example of a father that there could possibly be. And I want to spend just a few moments today and I want to look at God the Father and notice just three simple characteristics, qualities or traits, if you will, that we as earthly fathers need to exhibit in our homes and in our families as well. And so let's have a word of prayer, and we're going to consider those qualities. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership. We ask that you'd speak to our heart today. May we as dads be inspired. May even moms be encouraged. And, Lord, may our homes be better for having been here today. We love you. We need you. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts. And Lord, if there be any that have yet to receive and accept Jesus Christ into their life as Savior, that they would recognize and understand their need of Christ today, that they would be willing to do so before they leave this morning. Help us, Lord, we need you. Fill me with your spirit and allow me to be your mouthpiece. Stand in my shoes, dear God, and may every listening ear hear with spiritual ears. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So what do we know about God? 
One, we know God listens. We know God listens. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, the Bible says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Notice that he is, his ears are open unto their prayers. The, the Lord, he, God, he listens. In Psalm 34, 17, the righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. In 1 Peter 5, 7, we are admonished and we are encouraged, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Two psychiatrists, they met at their 20th college reunion. One was extremely lively or vibrant, while the other just looked withered and worn. So what's your secret, the older-looking psychiatrist asked. Well, listening to other people's problems every day, all day long, for years on end, has made an old man of me. So, says the younger one, who listens? The older one says, hey, listen, listen to all these problems and all these things has made me an old man before my time. The younger one says, well, who listens? The reason the younger one's not worn and tattered and beaten up is he don't really listen. That's the point, okay? I feel like I'm talking to the singles class now. This is what happens when I tell jokes in the singles class. Actually, you know, those jokes I shared with you earlier, I previewed them in the singles class and I told them, I want you to tell me whether or not this is going to work in the auditorium. And uh, they weren't as, they weren't as uh, confident. As some of you seen, anyway, moving on. So, who listens was the whole reply. I mean, one of the old ones saying, listen, listen to those people's problems every day, all day long for years on end, has made me an old man. And he says, well, so? so? So here's what I do. I don't listen. Who listens? And, you know, if no one is listening, you can know God is. You can know God is. His ear is bent toward you today. He's like, he's waiting, he's listening. And you know, Dad, you need to understand that you've got to listen to your children. Yeah, listen to them. You know, we listen to the news, sports or politics or finances. I mean, we are in tune with our phones, our tablets and TVs, but how in tune are we with our children? See, good listening is like tuning in a radio station. For good results, you've got to listen to only one station at a time. If you try to listen to your wife while you're looking over an office report or some kind of duty at uh, work, it's like trying to receive two radio stations at the same time. If you're trying to listen to your children tell you a woe or a hurt or a heartache from school or, or possibly with a friend outside and you're over here, uh, you know, dabbling on your tablet, I'm telling you, it's like trying to tune in two different radio stations at the same time. It ends up with distortion and it ends up with frustration and listening requires a choice and you've got to decide, where am I going to place my attention? 
So if you're going to listen to a wife, you're going to listen to your children, or to anyone else for that matter, you've got to put away all those things that will divide your attention. That might mean laying down the tablet. That might mean setting aside the hobby for a moment, or the project, or putting aside the book that you're reading. You're going to have to make choices. What do we know about God? He listens. And as dads, we need to listen too. Not only that, what do we know about God? God, he, he leads. He leads. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. In Psalm 37, 23, it says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in them. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Let me tell you what. What we know about God is that he leads. He leads by way of the word of God, doesn't he? We take this book, and according to Psalm chapter 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He's lighting the way. He's giving us direction and we're seeing this is the way to go. And that's exactly what dads need to do as well. God is trying to teach us and show us that as a father we are to lead. He leads not only by the word of God, but he leads by way of the spirit of God. In John 16, 13, he says, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. He's going to guide you into all truth. So we have God who is the perfect example and he is the best a father could possibly be and he is one that leads. And he leads through the word of God and he leads through the prompting of the Holy Ghost in our life. So dad, your words and promptings are both needed in order to direct your children's footsteps. Silence will never get the job done. It's never going to get the job done. I mean, can you imagine God never once speaking to you? Can you imagine God never once prompting you? What kind of guidance would that be? What do you want me to do? What do you think I should do? What are your expectations? What do you demand of me? Well, how can I please you? And he's just going, that's not how God does it. He uses the Word and He used the Holy Spirit to prompt us in order to lead us. Our children need us to speak up. Dad, you, listen, there are so many voices that our children are exposed to today in the world. So many voices. Many of those voices are detrimental. Many of those voices are even diabolical. You've got to speak up. You've got to prompt them and even push them. Don't settle for simply a trouble-free environment. Well, I don't see any problems. I don't hear anything. So obviously everything's all right. Too often that can be attributed to us burying our heads in the sand. Man, I don't want to hear, we're like Schultz and, and, and Hogan's heroes. I see nothing, I hear nothing. 
That, that's what we do, you know, if we're not careful as dads. We, we've got problems at work. We've got problems in the home, maybe. Maybe there's a some tension with me and the spouse and maybe there's problems with with somebody else or uh, financial issues or all kind of problems that seem to raise their ugly head maybe the house is having some problems and we just don't know how we're going to get it repaired and yet here we are with these kids and we're like man as long as I don't hear from them out of sight out of mind it doesn't matter it's obviously good no news is good news boy our children need us to stir them to get them moving, and to challenge them. We are responsible for moving them in the right direction and leading the way. It is our job to lay a foundation for success in their lives. We must instill discipline. We need to provide direction. We need to give them every opportunity to succeed. At one time, Andrew Carnegie, and I've shared this before, but I, I really, really love it. It's, Andrew Carnegie was one of the wealthiest men in America. He came to America from his native Scotland where it, when, when he was just a little boy is when he came and he did a variety of odd jobs. He eventually ended up as the largest steel manufacturer in the United States. At one time he had 43 millionaires working for him. Now we're talking about somebody at the turn of the century, 19th century by the way. We're talking about somebody back in the early 1900s who had 43 millionaires working for him. Can you imagine what a Millionaire would be worth today, if I mean, a millionaire then would be worth today in today's dollars? I mean, we, we say, well, a couple million? Oh, no, not even close. I, I can't even imagine what a million dollars in the early 1900s versus the, a million dollars, it'd be multi-millions. And he had these 43 of them working for him. A reporter asked Carnegie how he had hired 43 millionaires. And Carnegie said, they weren't millionaires when they started working for me. They became millionaires as a result. And the reporter's next question was, well, how did you develop these men to become so valuable to you that you've paid them this much money? And Carnegie replied that men are developed the same way gold is mined. When gold is mined, uh, several tons of dirt must be moved to get an ounce of gold. But one doesn't go into the mine looking for dirt. They go into the mine looking for the gold. He goes on to basically say, that's how I did it. I looked for the gold in them. He extracted the good. He, he moved them in the right direction. And whether you're a dad, or you're possibly running a business or, or a huge corporation, either way, we need to start looking for the good. We need to start realizing we're going to have to move a lot of dirt to get to the gold, but it's worth digging. And the fact is today is that God the Father is such a wonderful Father because He leads us and He listens. Finally, number three. What do we know about God? He loves. He loves. Everybody in the room probably has heard or maybe even knows John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him, in him, excuse me, should not perish but have everlasting life. 
John 15, 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. We know that God loves us. The Bible says that there's no greater love than that a man lay down his life for his friends, and that's exactly what John 3, 16 expresses, that he sent his only begotten son. Literally, God himself took your place on Calvary. He paid for your sin. He sacrificed himself. Love is best seen in sacrifice. That's what we learned. Love is best seen in sacrifice. You know, it's no big deal if you have a million dollars in, your, in the bank account to give five bucks to somebody walking down the street. It's no big deal. That's five bucks. But if all you've got is $25 and that's going to be what you need to get through the rest of the week to feed your family and you give away that same $5, it matters. That's a sacrifice. So love is best seen in sacrifice. You know, Let's sacrifice some of our time, Dad. Take the time to do things with your children. Maybe I'm preaching to the choir today, I don't know, but statistically speaking, we know that dads don't spend as much time with their children as they would like to or need to. And listen, I'm not talking about cut back on the work, don't have money to pay the bills. Man, work a lot of hours, do whatever it takes, but listen, sacrifice your time. Well, I need my 10 hours of sleep. I need my eight hours of sleep. I need my seven and a half hours of sleep. I need my, wait, maybe you go with four hours, but you spend time with your kids. You sacrifice to spend time with your kids. If you got to work 80 hours a week, you work it, but you sacrifice for your kids. They don't pay because you have to work extra hours. You do. Take time to do things with your kids. And after a long, hard day at work, let's be honest, we've all been there, fellas. It's a challenge to put a smile on your face, muster up some needed energy, and play ball with the kids. It can be a challenge, but do it anyway. Most of the time, it's just plain fun. It really is. It's just a lot of fun. But there are times when life is weighing pretty heavy on our shoulders, and you just want to crash and maybe even burn. <laughs> but don't. Sacrifice instead. Push yourself a little bit harder. Because, see, it's not their fault. And they need their dad to show love, not just talk about it, but sacrifice. And it doesn't necessarily just mean playing ball. There's all kind of things we could do. But, by the way, let me just say this as well. When we are consistently frustrated, irritable, or cranky, we are going to have a hard time convincing our family that we love them. You don't know what I'm dealing with at work, and I got all this pressure on me, and I'm telling you what, it's a stressful environment I'm coming from, and I get home, and I'm telling you, I don't need all this mess. Kids come up, and they're like, hey, Dad, you want to play ball? I, don't have, I can't play ball right now. Okay, listen, I, I can't do it. And it's not even a matter of, you know, uh, right now is not a good time, son. I'll get back to you. We'll, we'll, we'll get that a little bit later. But right now, Dad's going to go sit down for a minute. No, it's just they can feel the, the tension. They can feel frustration. Maybe we speak to them. We talk to them in a way that is obviously harsh, difficult. They feel that stress in our life. They hear it in our words. Can I tell you that 
Words are a dime a dozen, but actions speak louder than words. And the Bible says, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted. We need to be kind to our children. Tenderhearted. And as I say that, listen, don't exclude the wife, obviously. But I'm just saying, this is something we need to do. There are times that we feel entitled to have a very cynical, critical, and crummy attitude. <clears throat> we, we feel we have a right to have the kick the dog syndrome. But that doesn't reflect love. I'm not saying that you can't have a bad day. That is not what I'm saying. We've all had them. But when those things become par for the course where dad's coming home, oh boy, we got problems. And may I say that happens more often than most of us would like to admit. A child struggles to distinguish your frustration with work, finances, or marriage. They struggle, listen now, they struggle to distinguish those frustrations in those areas with frustration with them. So you're frustrated about work. You're frustrated about finances. You're frustrated maybe even about the relationship between you and your wife. Can I tell you, your child struggles with that because they don't see those things. They only feel those things and they know that frustration is evident and it's real and it's there in front of them right now and guess who they blame? Themselves. They will internalize that emotion. They will blame themselves for your frustration. Obviously, dad's upset with me for some reason. I don't know why. Every day he's upset with me. I can never please my dad. And you know what that'll do to daughters? It'll send them out in the world and find somebody that will show them love. Boys will constantly, maybe even turn to a mother, and it will turn out bad for them in the long run. They need their father. And we have a heavenly father who is quick to show us love and demonstrate love to us. You must sacrifice sometimes. You do not have a right to be angry and mean and nasty to your children that will not raise children that are going to end up in victory. It's not going to happen. It's so funny, you know, and again, I, who's got all the answers? I mean, show me the perfect person, right? But this idea, you're lucky, you've got good kids thing. I don't think that raising kids is all luck. First of all, it's all following the biblical plan and purpose. It's doing things God's way. That's the first and foremost thing. But I'm going to tell you what else that's important. You're consistent. Consistency is at the root of every success in a home and family and marriage. There's got to be consistency. Your emotions must be consistent. You've got to understand that those children need love and it's going to require an element of sacrifice. Be approachable. That's what God is to us, right? Because he is kind, forgiving, loving, caring. I've got to move quickly because I'm going to end now. God himself is our greatest example of fatherhood. We've come to that conclusion. I think it's quite, quite obvious. And the characteristics and traits that he exhibits and it extends to us, his children, are the same that you and I need to extend to our children, men, gentlemen. So we must listen. We must lead. We must love. How many times have we heard a practical message like this one 
and knew that there was an area that needed addressed in our life and ministry as a father, but after hearing the need and being convinced or convicted to change, we simply walk out of the service the same as we came. It happens all the time. So I want to encourage you dads to do something today. One, put your finger on the problem. Don't say, well, you know, I got some issues. No, what is the issue? Let's identify it. I mean, let's ask yourself, do you listen as you ought to to your family, to your children, your wife? I mean, are you listening? I mean, really listening. Maybe you're struggling with that. Put your finger on it. Are you leading the way you should lead? Are you loving the way you should love? Whatever it is, put your finger on it first. Number two, admit to God that you've not lived up to his standard for fathers in that area. You see, we have the example of our Heavenly Father. He is the example, yes, but He's also the standard. And therefore, when we fail to measure up to His standard, we have indeed failed in measuring up. So we say, this is the problem. I have failed God in this area, and I'm confessing it. I'm telling you right now. And then make a commitment to take steps to correct the deficiency. Okay. Counseling 101, here it is now. Let's begin by identifying three words that will become your mission statement. So where'd you get this out of? We're so generalized today, we don't ever get specific about issues. So I want you to try to think about this. I want to help men today be better dads. So... Begin by identifying three words that will become your mission statement, that will establish the foundation for change in your life and remind you of your commitment down the road. So, for example, listen more closely. That's what I need to listen more closely. Or possibly, I need to lead my children. Maybe you're not leading like you ought to, and there's areas that you need to tighten that up. I need to lead my children. I've acknowledged the fact that I'm struggling in leading or leadership. I put my finger on it. I admitted to God that I failed in that area or in living up to his standard. And I've made a commitment now to God. God, with your help and your strength, I'm going to do a better job. I'm literally going to do my best to lead. I'm going to do my best to listen. I'm going to do my best to love my children. And so we come up with those three words. Oh, maybe it's love like Jesus. So three words that identify or uh, the, 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 the three words that will identify the area of weakness and need in your life, the thing you want to accomplish now, make it your mission statement. I'm going to listen more closely. I'm going to lead my children. I'm going to love like Jesus. And maybe it's something else. Then I want you to do something else. I want you to write down three practical steps that it will take to accomplish your mission statement. Let me give you an example again. Say that listen more closely was your three-word mission statement. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write three things now that will enable me and it help me to accomplish my mission statement. Here it is. I'm going to turn off devices and the TV. Not, not, not maybe all the time, but I'm going to schedule, I'm going to shut her down. I'm not going to watch the TV like I've been watching it all the time. I'm not going to come home from work, flip it on, and just sit behind the, the boob tube, so to speak, we used to call it. 
I'm not going to go ahead and, and uh, uh, be on my tablet constantly. I'm not going to let my phone distract me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're going to eat dinner together. We're going to eat dinner together. We're listening more closely. That Listen more closely. Turn off that devi- those devices than that TV. Eat dinner together. And number three, ask more questions. Encourage communication. An opportunity to learn about others. And you learn by listening. So those would be three practical things. Let me give you another example. Let's say that you said, lead my children. I'm just using the ones I came up with. That's your mission statement. That's the area of weakness. I want to lead my children better this year. I want to do a better job of leading my children. That's my mission statement. Lead my children. Have family devotions. Memorize a weekly scripture together. Laugh with them. (laughs) You say, that's stupid. I guarantee if, if your children can be around you and have fun, you have their heart. And you'll be able to guide them. You don't always have to be serious. Either some of the most serious guys in the world out in public, but boy, they get with their kids, they are nuts. And that's okay. That's all right. That's good. Have fun with your kids. Boy, God gave them to you. Enjoy them. Let me give you another example. Let's say that you said, I want to love like Jesus. Maybe I'm struggling with sacrificing. Maybe it's still too much about me. Maybe my children don't feel the love they ought to feel at times. And maybe I am a little bit kind of on edge all the time. And they feel that frustration. And they're almost like, "Uh uh-oh, dad's around. It's kind of go play yourself. Dad's not into playing with us or doing things with us or talking to us. Hold on. Love like Jesus. That's your mission statement. Here it is. Three things. Maybe ride bikes, go for a walk, or play game. A game. You know, do something together. Be kind always. Be kind always, no matter what. Even when it comes to discipline, you don't have to be flying off the handle, freaking out, going buck wild. You just simply say, "Listen, you messed up. You know, you 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 broke the rules, man." And, and now, we, you know, go ahead, get across the couch. Or how, wherever it is, we're going to have to do it. We're going to have to have a, 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 you know, a spanking party. It's on, you know. But you don't have to be nasty about it. You don't have to be mean. Ah, get over the couch. How dare you treat your mother and me like that? You're such a loser. We give you everything. You aren't appreciative. That might be a little over-exaggeration, but sometimes it's not, is it? So be kind. Always. And then number three, be more approachable. Those are just, listen, it's time we put our finger on some things, we confess them, and then we tell God we're going to change something. And here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to get a three-word mission statement of what I want to see change, and then I'm going to write three simple things I'm going to do to ultimately see that change come to pass. If you don't do that, I promise you what will happen is you'll walk out the door and that'll be the end of it. And so while you are thinking about that, if you know Christ as your Savior, I am now going to move on to those who have yet received Christ as their Savior. So you think about it if you're saved and you're a man and you have children, let me tell you, or you're a young man and you're planning to have kids, think about what you need to be. But today, where we stand and where we are today, the The Bible clearly identifies each of us as sinners. And yet God stands before us with open arms today. 
Remember, for God so loved the world. How is it possible that God, who is holy, perfect, and righteous, can stand before an unholy people, an ungodly people, a sinful people with his arms open to receive them? It's only possible because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We hear about that. We've been told about it. We've, we've, we've been growing up maybe even understanding that in a, a sense. But the truth is, is it is the only way. There are no other options. It's only possible because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is the only way that God the Father can open his arms to receive sinful mankind is because of what Christ did on Calvary 2,000 years ago. And after living a sinless and perfect life for 33 years, Jesus was unjustly condemned to die on the cross. So to the cross he went, not by force. Nobody made him die. Nobody put him there. The Bible says he put himself there by his own will. He willingly hung on the cross, paying the sins, uh, paying sin's penalty, death. In 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. You and I are the unjust. Of course, he is the just. He took your place on the cross. And sin must be paid for. And Jesus paid your sin debt by dying in your place. He was your substitute. And the only hope that you or any human being has to escape sin's penalty, which is to be eternally separated from God forever in a place called the lake of fire, according to Revelation 20.15. The only hope that any human being has to escape the sin, sin's penalty is Jesus and his finished work on the cross. That's it. Well, how do I do that? Well, the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You have to acknowledge the fact that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. You have to also admit that you're the sinner that he died for. And you have to admit that you have nothing to offer God that would merit his favor, his love, or his fellowship. You deserve hell. You deserve to burn forever and ever and ever in the lake of fire. But God in his gracious, wonderful mercy came to you in the person of Jesus Christ and literally took your place on Calvary paying for your sin debt that today I acknowledge that he alone did that for me, a sinner. And I cry out and, and hope and pray that he will be true to his word. And he said, if I call, he will save. And I'm crying out to him for his mercy. And I'm asking him to extend his grace. And so, Lord, you said, if I call, you'll save. And you're the only one that can do it. So I'm turning to you only. You say, why in the world would you people believe that once you turn to Christ, you're always going to be his? Because if you really believe what you just did, and you understand that he is still the only way, and that you deserve what you truly did, you will be forever grateful, and you will be willing to give him what he deserves. And if you are living a life where you're not doing that, I'm not here to make you doubt your salvation, but friend, let me tell you something. Maybe you didn't understand what he did for you. Do you understand how desperate you were and how deserving of hell you were before you came to Christ? To think that a loving, perfect, holy God would embrace you, a wicked, 
horrible sinner. And that's me too. Let me tell you. They say one finger out, three pointing back. Now that's love exhibited through sacrifice. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Trust Christ today. Don't delay. Do not leave here without Christ. Put your finger on your sin problem and understand the only solution is the Savior, Jesus Christ. And then tell him that and come to him today humbly, trusting and receiving him by calling on him today. You're saved, you're dad. Put your finger on the problem. Confess it and then come up with a three-word mission statement that expresses what change needed needs to be made. And then put three things under it that you're going to do to change that in your life. Father, we come to you. We thank you for how you speak to us and how you work in our hearts. Lord, we are just sinners and None of us are where we belong. We, we, we can all improve. Always we can improve. But Lord, help us to do our best to be everything you want us to be. You were the perfect example to us. You said that, that we need to do as you did. and You humbled yourself and you served others. And you gave us an example of what even a, being a father really is all about. May we, Father, take time to assess ourselves and to evaluate ourselves in light of your example, not comparing one another amongst one another. And Lord, for the lost, may they realize that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life, and that they have no hope outside of Christ. And it may sound narrow. It may seem like, well, what are you saying? That if there's no, even being a good person, nope, help them to understand nothing is going to make the difference but Jesus. He's the only one. And may they come to Christ even here in just a moment. We'll thank you. We'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our